Hello and welcome. In today's episode, we have a wonderful discussion lined up for you all today. We've got multiple conversations regarding gig and freelancing economy, as well as technology and devices, how you can reduce stress in your day-to-day activities, and much more. In last week's episode, we had a great conversation with a few different co-hosts. Today, it'll just be myself, Josh, and Srili. Hi. Now, the initial idea for the podcast is through ChatGPT, which is a new AI-generated um, chat robot. Uh, you feed it information. It gives you back some beautifully human language interface information. However, the exploration and key topic idea is what has to be generated from ChatGPT. Um, at least two discussion questions uh, that we have are going to be generated from ChatGPT. And, of course, we can go off topic into other more interesting conversations as necessary. Now, one of the first key points we have today is regarding the business and finance sector when navigating the gig economy. We have a few tips for building a successful freelance career. And when it comes to navigating the gig economy, this is a new and I wouldn't say necessarily improved version of you know, last decade's um, you know, working work of work for yourself uh, type of environment. But over the last you know year or two, ever since the pandemic, a lot of people have transferred more to freelancing and working on their own rather than working a standard nine to five job or even just a W two or ten ninety nine job for different companies. You know, so freelancing has really taken off. Um, Forbes dot com actually came out with an article last week that highlighted an uprising trend in freelancing gigs uh, instead of the classic nine to five W two jobs. So, you know, one of the questions that I had on this is how you can, how this uprising trend can actually impact the daily job market, you know, and how you can use it to your benefit. So we'll explore all of those topics over the next little bit as we, you know, delve deeper into, you know, the gig economy and how you might be able to use it to your own benefit. Uh, One of the uh, points that I was reading about over here as well on Forbes is that Fiverr, one of the, you know, main online sources for gig economy um, specialists is that they determined 78% of companies are actually going to be relying on freelancing within the job market. You know, instead of hiring a new employee, they're actually going to be, you know, looking to Fiverr and other, you know, websites that are very similar to that rather than adding extra staff to their payrolls. I mean, that kind of makes sense because when you have a very narrow uh, job description which has to get fulfilled, it makes more sense to hire an expert to perform just that single function rather than hiring someone uh, who you're going to have to worry about their taxes, their, you know, um, their benefits, etc. And having to worry about PTO and just having someone paying them as an outside consultant to just do that job and that's it. That does make more sense. Yeah, from a business perspective, I can definitely see that, you know, not having to worry about the taxes and the payroll side of things can definitely be a benefit. Um, however, it's, you know, very easy nowadays to actually add somebody to company payroll. And it really just involves putting the person's name and, you know, basic information in. It takes literally a minute or two on the company side to go ahead and add the employee onto the actual payroll um, website. So, yeah. you know, while that's really an argument that a lot of companies I find, you know, might be giving, it's, you know, really a difficult argument to make when you actually delve deeper into it. You know, I think a lot of the benefits from a company perspective is that they don't have to deal with the management uh, of the actual employee. They just simply have to deal with the output of the work. You know, a lot of people, a lot of companies, or even if you're, you know, very small company, 
you're really just wanting somebody to actually get the work done for you, not have to worry about managing the person or anything similar. So either you're going to be stuck with finding somebody who's very good at managing themselves and just finding all of the work that needs to get done on their own, or you're going to be stuck with you know going to a freelancing website and actually finding a quote unquote expert um, when it comes to you know getting the work completed like that. That does make sense. And one thing which I do wonder when it comes to these things, especially when it comes to IT companies or companies which have sensitive information that could be that's stored on uh, the company servers, etc., is that there is a huge cybersecurity risk in having an outsider who has not been vetted and who has no uh, stake in having the company do well come in and just uh, harvest information, which uh, could be then used at a later date. And, I mean, th- of course, there is uh, reputational risk, etc., which comes in, but at the same time, there is a certain exposure which comes uh, about as a result of hiring outside specialists, which, mm-hmm. especially over Fiverr and other companies where people have not been vetted and... In many cases, you are hiring people who are consultants who work overseas and you are giving them sensitive data. And again, there is no way to really vet them in certain ways. Sure. And when it comes to that sensitive data, you know, a lot of times when a company, for example, let's say you're a a government contractor, you hire outside sources to complete the work. You know, that can be a very big red flag when you have, you know, a a third-party country having access to your sensitive data and information. So that really is, I think, where a lot of the change is not going to be seen is when it comes to the government contracting sector as well as, you know, any in, I guess, any industry that involves very, very sensitive data. However, a lot of cases you'll notice that even when it comes to sensitive data such as social security numbers, credit card information, that's not classified as sensitive data when it comes to the company's uh, aspect of things. What's really more sensitive is when it comes to you know, top secret information and data that you know, can't be revealed to other, con- other countries. But when it comes to you know, personal data and things uh, of that nature, a lot of times you'll find your information is very easily and you know, without second thought or second you know, consideration you know, sent over to other countries, you know, just to have the work completed. That is true. But in reality, it's very short-sighted to be able to, to do that because these data sets could be then used to generate for creating uh, machine learning models and the like. And there has been documented evidence of uh, the Chinese government using American data when it comes to, say, biometrics uh, and uh, then using it to create uh, you know models which gives a co- which then gives a company like Huawei an unfair advantage over American and European country companies and there is a lot to be said for that and well, when it comes to you know the market that all the data is being provided towards a lot of times these places and whether it's countries or specific companies are going to find ways to get the data regardless. You know, for example, a lot of this data that, you know, you could say is given to other countries just simply because it's on their network, you know, it might have easy, it might be able to easily be accessed through the greater internet without those means as well. You know, to be fair, a lot of what they do to get this data is they sell infrastructure to uh, America and uh, Europe for a very uh, subsidized price, which creates an unfair advantage. And then they have backdoors built into these uh, into this subsidized infrastructure, which they then use to harvest data. There is uh, documented evidence in uh, America where 
Huawei was responsible for building some telecom towers uh, close to some US um, military bases and there was a backdoor and then all the data which was being transmitted over these telecom towers was going back to China. And we th there's a reason why uh, fi the 5G network does, it, at least in the UK, it was about five years ago or so that the UK government banned uh, the um, Huawei from building their 5G network. And again, there's a good basis for that when it comes to cybersecurity. Well, that is a concern. You know, a lot of times the benefits can outweigh the, the side effects of the data being transmitted. You know, and that's also where you might run into issues like the recent Eufy uh, data leak where they somebody found that they had a, a, a URL that was able to access most of the cameras uh, around the world just by changing the variables in the URL. And obviously it was, it's since been patched, but that has tremendously hurt uh, Eufy and by essence the parent company Anchor's profits and uh, respect when it comes to how they dealt with such data breaches um, when, it, uh, when it comes to people's sensitive information and data. You know, the last past data breach as well, that's raised a big red flag to companies. You know, a lot of the other password management companies who are, you know, trying to benefit from this, they're, you know, portraying how LastPass is, a, you know, a huge um, security risk and security flaw, when in essence the security risk is on the user as well. While the company who hosts all the data might might be you know to blame for having the information released, and they might not have taken the necessary steps. So you know, at the end of the day, it's ultimately up to the consumer on how their data is being protected and to ensure that their data is not being you know released without prior knowledge. You say it's up to the consumer, and that is the case, I guess, when you when it comes to TikTok, where you have a choice as to whether to install it on your phone, and TikTok is basically just one big. Um, Data mine for China. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a cyber weapon. That's all TikTok really is. But at the same time, do you really have a choice when you are uh, when you have to use so many uh, aspects of social media just in order to be able to function in today's society to some extent, and you do not know how much of it is really being mined and being sold, where you are the product when you are using Google and the like. You are effectively the product when... Uh, I mean, it's a classic saying in the world of technology. If you're not paying for it, you are the product. And the reason is because all your Google searches, everything, all that is just being harvested and being used to um, and being put into data generating machine learning algorithms. So I'd say how much like choice do you really have? Yeah, I'd say it's like a certain sense of, um, like you mentioned, it's payment for the purpose of using the platform. You know, if you're not paying for it directly with you know money, you're paying for it in some other way. And it really is your decision in most cases to go ahead and utilize the product. You know, when it comes to, you know, any type of security cameras and, and, and the like, you know, that might not necessarily be up to all the consumers that are you know being affected by it. Because let's say you walk into a store, you don't know what system they're using to record your, your camera um, interactions and stuff. But when it comes to any personal, um, you know, data, such as choosing what phone you use, you know, what network you're connected to, all of that's really up to you to determine uh, how much of your information is available. And a lot of times you can totally put in fake information and they don't know the, you know, they don't really understand or know that this is fake information unless they're asking you for a credit card number that is tied to your name and that's verified, uh, that verifies who you are. You know, you're, they're really not going to have any further data on you. You can change your name. You can change the email address you use. You can download apps that change your physical location on your devices. You know, it really is, you know, a consumer-minded um, 
platform when it comes to your data availability and being conscious of what you search for and how you get access to that information, you know, that really can affect, you know, how you're treated, you know, when it comes to your data being directed to other countries. In that way, granted, it is correct that it's up to you, but at the same time, the average consumer doesn't know all this information. There is not an honest conversation which is being had with the public in terms of how, yes, your data, yes, you're using the product for free, but this is what you are giving back to the company in return. And how many people will be making different decisions if they know this? Sure. And I mean, it really is, you know, something we have to educate people on. You know, it's impossible to do in just one one environment, but it's really constant consumer education um, or maybe even re-education. A lot of times when consumers are provided some information, then, you know, it might be false information initially. That's really what marketing is in general. You know, when it comes to providing, you know, let's just go back to the topic of the of the freelancing for a second. You know, when it comes to marketing yourself and marketing, you know, the the product that you're that you're providing, it's really just educating the consumer on why that product is necessary for them. You know, if you don't provide that education, you're either relying on previously provided education, which in some cases is going to work just fine. You know, if you're providing a service that's you know known and it's you know understandable what it is, you know, power washing for example, and if you name your company Power Washing Number One Incorporated, then you know people understand exactly what you do and what services you offer. But if you just name your company, you know, Joe's Schmoe's, you know, general uh, general uh, company, then people don't understand that you necessarily focus on power washing. You have to do a complete, you know, uh, and, you know, I guess educational platform when you're doing your marketing for these products. You know, and a lot of times that's one of the struggles that people find when it comes to, you know, self-employed uh, individuals is trying to you know, market yourself, market your product towards consumers and driving the the need, especially if it's a product that's not necessarily well known, driving that need towards yourself is going to be one of the largest struggles that you'll usually find um, when it comes to, you know, starting out on your own and doing a, a, a side gig, for example. You know, even if you have all the prior experience and knowledge of running that platform, and running that side gig, you know, taking power washing again as an example, even if you've done power washing for 10, 15 years and you know exactly what products to use and how not to ruin the house or, uh, you know, how different types of wood are treated when it comes to power washing versus soft washing, all of those are, you know, not necessarily necessary when you go ahead and market your product. But when it comes to the actual marketing of your platform, you have to make sure that people understand what you're doing and why the need is going to be there for them. Right, but let's start back to the gig economy element. Um, the whole concept of a gig economy is actually very good when somebody is looking to transition away from uh, being a salaried employee and looking to start their own business, but at the same time they need some sort of uh, transition in the middle because uh, a gig economy allows for jobs to be done on the side to build a rapport with clients and to build a steady income stream. So you said at one point when they do quit their nine to five job and then start their own company, they have the tools in order to be able to stay afloat and to be able to understand how do I navigate this process differently as uh, someone who's self-employed rather than as someone who is just doing this as part of a wider company. I mean, I understand that when it comes to, you know, the freelancing, but that's also why you want to take it slowly, you know, continue to work your nine to five job as you're transitioning to the, the side gigs and, you know, slowly build your rapport with a small sector of clients. And that's, you know, one of the main ways people go from transitioning from nine to five to doing a freelancing gig. 
know, they don't jump in cold usually when it comes to that. It's more starting slowly, having one, two, three, five clients. And that's also where a company like Fiverr could be beneficial is having your service or product transform to a broader audience so that more people can find you and search for you. Um, now, when it comes to that, though, you have to be very specific on what your services uh, provide. You can't be very basic and generic because the more generic you are, the less people are going to find you. It's all about focusing on like a niche market and, you know, trying to get one type of person to reach out to you. And as long as there's enough of those people, literally 10, 15 of those people in the country, a lot of times you're able to start slowly generating the traction that you need to get other people more interested. And a lot of times when it comes to more of a, a the gig perspective, you, you want to start slowly with people within your area or with a platform that's tailored towards this. You don't want to go cold and just market towards the entire country on Google advertisements. You're not going to get anywhere. You know, trying to reach out people that you know and you know trust, and people you know might you know be interested in your services for a discounted price. You know, that's one way that you can also gain traction if you're just starting out in the freelancing environment. Makes sense. Okay, and moving on, we're going to be moving on to our next point, which is how much screen time is too much. Now, in today's society, we focus a lot on technology. Most people use several, if not dozens, of electronic devices on a day-to-day -day basis. Is being exposed to digital displays a negative thing? And how can we limit this? I mean, it really comes down to whether or not the device is um, being beneficial towards you, I would say. You know, there's a lot of studies that have been done on whether the physical screen can be bad for you. And a lot of, in a lot of cases, the screen itself is not what does the damage, it's the content that you ingest. I mean, I, I do disagree on that. I think that there are no serious long-term studies which have been done on the extent of the screen time that we are experiencing today because we use our phones and then we use our computers and then we use the like. And we are going to be seeing in 10, 15 years' time a lot of uh, eye problems which have not been an issue in the past come to light because of the fact that our eyes are being exposed to this much light continuously on and it's uh, interrupting our sleep schedules it's inter interrupting our circadian rhythms and this, we just don't even understand the effects fully yet while the long-term effects might not necessarily be shown there's definitely you know studies and um, information about the short-term effects uh, as long as you are managing your uh, adjustments of your eyes you know taking a few minute break every every half hour 25 minutes or and such from the actual screen, um, that can reduce the the long term strain that you have on your eyes, as well as the you know side effects that can come from such a strain. It's similar to when you're typing. A long term typing can re result in you know wrist strain and carpal tunnel and, and things of that nature. So if you reduce the strain that you're putting on your wrist and also taking breaks, doing stretches and things like that, you're going to have a lot less strain on your wrist. Similar, I would say, with your eyes, as long as you're taking the, those necessary breaks, which granted, most people probably are not. When you ingest a two-hour, three-hour movie, you're not taking a 15-minute break every 20 minutes. It's not going to happen. But if you're working, let's say, an eight-hour shift and you know most of your job involves a computer, but you can take breaks every half hour for 15 minutes and go and do something else, that can have an extreme benefit towards you know, reducing the long-term strain and you know even side effects that we might not necessarily know about today. 
That is correct, but there is also the wider ramifications of a whole generation which is growing up on screens. And if you look at the Gen Z generation, which we are both part of, we are much less social than our parents were, and we're much more anxious. And the, I mean, the average level of anxiety which a teenager experiences today is the, is enough that in the 50s and 60s they would be put away in a home. And there is a reason for that. These screens are not allowing uh, time for people to just mentally engage with themselves and to think. And we, as a society, we are slowly starting to understand what the concept of digital health is, but at the same time, we are no longer close. I mean, even according to the World Health Organization, children aged five years or younger should not spend any time watching screens. I'm sorry, but most little kids I see are on their little kiddie tablets all the time. And for children aged six years and older, the WHO recommends that they should engage in at least 60 minutes of physical activity per day. How many kids today, unfortunately, do not do that? And the answer is a lot. And that's going to have a massive impact on their obesity rates later on. And who knows how it's going to stunt their development. And Well, specifically regarding the physical activity, I think a lot of that is on both the parents as well as the schools. Schools don't provide, in most cases, an adequate amount of physical activity for the children. You know, even if there is a recess or a physical education requirement, it's usually only, you know, 25, 25, 35, 40 minutes at a time when in reality the child really needs like full hour-long stretches but even as adults you don't have that ability you know when you're working most works don't encourage or even um, provide adequate you know training of how to properly manage your lifestyle so when you're trying to go out and work out for 35 40 minutes an hour a day you know it's really almost impossible even for adults never never mind for children who are barely even home with their parents you know even if you have a parent that's home all day you know a lot of times they'll have three five seven eight ten kids that they're trying to take care of you know granted most people in america have less than four kids but even if you have a one stay-at-home parent who's taking care of all three kids that the family has they're not going to be able to adequately ensure that their children are constantly exercising for an hour every single day you know that's seven hours per week that's a lot of time and when the child is home only 15 hours a day and 10 of them they're supposed to be sleeping and the other four they're supposed to be doing homework, that leaves an hour for the child to eat, take a shower, put their laundry away, clean the house, do their chores. You know, they, don't have the, they don't have the time to actually go out and exercise. That is true. And to some extent, blaming the actual device is more uh, a way to deflect. Rather, we should be uh, having a discussion in terms of how parenting works. And also, the idea of 10 hours sleep is something which... How many children actually get 10 hours sleep a day? And the answer is not enough. In general, sleep is being neglected by society. But anyways, let's not go there because... Prolonged screen time can have uh, negative effects on physical health, such as poor posture, eye strain, and on mental health, such as insomnia, anxiety, and depression. And this does tie into what we were saying before. Look, too much screen time uh, leads to bad development in kids, which then leads to bad development in the teenager, where you are much more prone to mental health issues, which then leads to unhealthy adults. So how do we realistically just stop the cycle and come up with a healthy medium in the middle? I mean, it really just depends on the people taking care of the, the families and the children, even when it comes to adults, you know, just making discipline for yourself. You know, one of the main ways you can, you know, help discipline your screen time is when it comes to your phone. Lots of people take hours on their phone a day when it comes to video watching YouTube and, you know, movies, even just messaging. You know, having an app on your phone that tells you how much screen time you've had or have just a little bit of screen time that on one specific app, you know, that can go a long way when it comes to providing encouragement for somebody who's trying to monitor their 
their time spent on the devices. I mean, that is true. But my problem with the screen time statistics app is when driving and having my GPS on, which is not, does not count as screen time because you're not staring at your phone when driving, at least officially not. Um, uh, that completely messes up your screen time statistics. So if you're going on a three-hour drive, suddenly, oh, you use your phone for seven hours today. Well, that makes perfect sense. Well, there are, when it comes to the apps, for example, Samsung, which both you and I have, in terms of phones, there are the app that they provide and in, in, uh, built in, it does have an option to eliminate certain apps from being counted as screen time. So you can go ahead and turn off the GPS or the Google Maps or Waze as being counted towards your screen time. So if you go on an eight to 10 hour drive, it doesn't count all 10 hours of those as being screen time. You can actually have a little toggle for uh, focusing on your driving. And if you have that enabled, if it detects that you're driving and then also looking at your phone, it will actually tell you how many hours you've spent looking at your phone while driving. That's very interesting. Which can, which can have a, a huge, you know, I guess a boost towards your uh, journey of trying to eliminate the screen time that you have. I mean, just let's just start back for a second to the whole idea of screen time and sleep. So people don't really understand how the sleep cycle works. And in the morning, it... People know of melatonin and taking it before going to sleep. So what there actually is, there is the, in the pineal gland, which is in the center of your brain, uh, there is the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which basically sits right in between, the, right on the center uh, of your body between the two eyes and uh, in the center of the brain. And when you are look, it detects how much light is coming in through your eyes and is being transmitted to your um optic lobe, at, which is at the back of your brain, which is where you focus, uh, which is where your vision is being processed. And it detects based on those level of lights, what time of day it is, which uh, is a separate conversation, but in terms of the uh, daylight savings being a terrible idea. But what it basically, when you people are staring at screens, we are, un, we are not able to calibrate our suprachiasmatic nucleuses properly, and it leads to dysfunctional melatonin levels. And uh, I do speculate, considering the fact that melatonin is one of the regulators for puberty, and puberty is getting earlier these days, if the m increase in melatonin, that sorry, if the disruption in melatonin cycles, which takes place as a result of screen time, is in part the reason for that. While the disruption of melatonin might be uh, plausible for why the sleep cycle is messed up, a lot of these devices, keep in mind, have built-in settings that people don't use to adjust for certain time frames or sleep schedules. You know, on your phone, you have an option to um, automatically adjust the time from 7, let's just say 7.30 to 6 a.m. as being um, sleep mode. This turns off notifications. This turns off your um, blue light. It uh, turns everything into grayscale. All of that will have an extreme benefit to not only encouraging you to sleep, but actually ensuring that you get there in a right amount of time. Your computer has the same functionality. It's all just comes down to the user not even, maybe not even knowing that these functions ex exist. It's not enough education on that there's this option is available. But even if they do know they exist, not even using them. You know, turning your, your computer off, that can go a long way. Leaving your phone downstairs or in a different room when you go to bed, that also is, you know, proven to have benefits when you go to sleep, you know, to ensure that you go to sleep at the right time. And when it comes to children, a lot of times uh, they, they let you know that when you leave the hospital even, that you should keep the child in a dark room. You shouldn't, um, um, you shouldn't have any light when the child's supposed to be sleeping. That way they know, like sleep training is what it's called. That way they know that it's supposed to be bedtime. And it really starts from there, trying to train your your body, yourself, your child, that they should be sleeping during that time frame as opposed to being awake. 
And I think that can also go a long way when it comes to adults, you know, making sure that you set your own barriers and boundaries. There's too many people working until 1.32 a.m. trying to just get work done and then waking up at 6 o'clock and thinking everything's okay. But in reality, they should be going to bed at 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night. I mean, there's a reason Margaret Thatcher got dementia. <laughs> What, I don't know about this. What, what, Basically, what uh, Margaret Thatcher used to get electric shocks in order to be able to stay awake and to be able to work longer. And mm. that's part of why she you know, had her brain fried later on in life. Pardon the she pun. was literally frying her brain. Got it. I mean, I think sleep is vitally important for everyone. And if you do not get a healthy sleep pattern, a healthy sleep schedule, it implicates you in so many you know things and people do not realize that by cutting down sleep and not sleeping properly they are effectively destroying their bodies and destroying their ability to learn and are less less efficient during the day it's one of the problems which i have with the whole idea of oh you need to work 10 hours in order to prove yourself in the company in reality if, if you work eight hours you could be just as productive if you know it's eight hours and these are the things you need to be doing in general uh, at least my personal opinion is that we need to be moving away from uh, specifying how many hours you need to work in a day and more uh, moving towards how many tasks you need to complete in a day. And if you complete them in five hours, then so be it. But you know, if it takes 10 hours, again, then so be it. But at the same time, the current way that we structure work, we have to walk in. And it's, a lot of it is built on the way that we used to live um, whereby we would be working on a factory line or the like where the actual amount of hours where you are in the physical building, doing the physical labor is commiserate with how many hours uh, with with output and productivity. But at the same time, that's not how uh, we work anymore. So why are we actually tailoring ourselves towards that? Well, I think a lot of this can also factor into the um, uh, stress that's uh, induced when it comes to you know, just daily living. The less sleep that you have, the automatically the more stress you're going to have because you're worried that you're not going to have enough time to complete everything and all the tasks. And as well, the more time you have in the day, the more time you're going to try to make for things to occur. You know, if you know that you have, let's say, 20 hours in a day that you're available, you're going to try to cram as much information as you can in that day. But if you only have 10 hours a day that you're available to work between nine and, you know, let's say seven, then you're going to have automatically less work available to you, which has a lot of benefits when it comes to, you know, just keeping yourself sane and the amount of stress that you have, you know, making sure that you're family life is a, uh, is able to be you know run on a on a good schedule that can that can help a lot i mean that's another thing which people don't really realize how little time we actually have on this world and uh people when you factor in that you know even if you're 25 you're already a third of the way for your life most likely therefore people don't actually think about how am i going to be using my time most effectively and well, that's, that's really, if you look at a lot of very successful people, I'm talking more financially than anything, a lot of times they come and they say that the the best thing they've ever done is buy their time back. You know, they could be very successful. They can have a lot of hours in a day that are productive. But at the end of the day, what's really important is their time and making sure that they're able to effectively you know, maintain their health and well-being. You know, when a person doesn't get enough sleep, you know, they might feel more stressed, anxious, you know, irritated. You know, getting enough sleep can help improve your ability to cope with even difficult situations. So, you know, for example, if you go to work and you don't have enough sleep, you're not able to deal necessarily with all of the difficult tasks that might come your way. And, you know, even if you have chronic sleep dep deprivation, that can lead to even more serious health problems that, you know, we're not even going to address here, like, you know, heart disease or, you know, uh, any type of, you know, shutdown of your body. And that's really going to be a, a very, a very heavily uh, induced factor. 
uh, when it comes to sleep as well. That makes sense. Okay, and speaking of uh, techniques and strategies to reduce stress, stress reduction and well-being, would you like to take from here? Sure. So when it comes to sleep and stress reduction, you know, one of the main uh, focuses that uh, you can do, and this also returns back to one of our uh, previous points regarding you know, being successful and uh, you know, trying to manage your time well, is exercising. You know, regular uh, exercise, you know, daily uh, when it comes to adults and children, that can release endorphins, which, you know, are it's a chemical in your brain that helps improve your mood. So just by exercising, that'll make you generally a happier person. You know, you'll be more excited to do things. Um, deep breathing as well is a technique that I've seen a lot of people use when it comes to you know, stress reduction. I mean, you know, just trying to calm down from something. You know, if you're having a very anxious day at work, you know, doing a, taking a deep breath. A lot, that's what, that's the first thing that any doctor is going to tell you usually is to, you know, calm down for a second, take a deep breath, you know, reassess the situation, you know, whether it's work or uh, sleep or home life, you know, reassessing what's going on is, you know, a very key important uh, part of, of making a good decision in, in everything in life. Yeah. Speaking of exercise though, I mean, Joe Rogan wants compared exercise to brushing your teeth. He said it's something which you have to do every day, regardless of anything. It's just just like you have to take care of your hygiene and you know you have to take care of your family. You have to take care of exercise because that's investing time in yourself and you're going to be uh, thankful for it uh, over the rest of your day. But uh, the question is more, how do you fit exercise in when you are super busy? And that's something which people don't realize that you could do two, take two minutes, do a very intense workout and then just continue on with your life. And that is something which is very understated. I don't know if two minutes underrated. is going to be enough, but at least having a, a consistent schedule. I guess you could say two minutes to start with and yeah. then try and slowly increase that. And that's that two minutes in sped in uh, a multiple points during oh, the day. Okay. Got it. Yeah, so having two minutes every you know every few hours or even every hour, taking two minutes of your of your hour and you know just doing a short exercise, I can see that being beneficial. Or even at work, just taking five minutes every two hours to go on a 200-step walk. Yeah. And just making sure that you get that in. And these things add up. So then, you know, at the end of the day, you have six, seven thousand steps just when you walk out from work. And that, that just, you know, is built up just every two hours, just taking a short break and increasing your productivity in the process. That's true. I think another uh, another benefit that uh, when we were talking about, you know, the screen time, just taking a break and limiting your, you know, your work-life balance. I think one of the main benefits of monitoring your, your time at work, you know, only working um, during certain hours, that's also something that you can, you know, include with your exercise routine. You know, if you're only working from nine to nine to six or nine to five or even nine to seven, you can still allocate, you know, 45 minutes or a half hour every day after your work or before your work, depending on what your schedule is like, uh, in order to in include those necessary exercise breaks that you need. You know, even both of them, if you know, if you exercise from eight to eight thirty. Then you go to work, you know, after a quick shower at the gym or something. And then from 6.30 to 7, you go ahead and do another exercise for half hour. Then that right there includes your hour recommended for children. You know, adults might be slightly different, but I would say that in general, having a full hour a day exercising is, you know, one of the main points of reducing both your stress as well as also increasing your, you know, ability to be productive. Did I mention the standing desks at work? You did not. Why don't we review that? I need a couple of those. <laughs> yeah, th those are very useful because, you know, it just breaks up the day because personally with my ADHD, I cannot be sitting for more than 
half an hour. Even now, this is actually absolute torture by the fact that I have to be sitting right now. So the fact that there is a standing desk and desk, and then you could stand up and then walk or just be standing for five minutes or ten minutes during the hour, it makes a big difference. Or maybe you can include the standing desks as like part of meditation or relaxation techniques. You know, if you stand up every 20 minutes for a few seconds just to kind of, you know, relax your muscles and, you know, stretch whatever you, you know, were cramped into, that might even help. You know, do you use those standing desks for long periods of time or do you just use them for short stints? I mean, it depends on the day. It depends on how, uh, yeah, it depends on the day. I mean, I can see that also being beneficial for time management. You know, if you want to use your your desk as, uh, you know, every half hour you use the standing desk and then every half hour you use the sitting mode, you know, that can be a good way to allocate certain parts of your day uh, accordingly. You know, if every time you stand up, you work on certain tasks, but every time you sit down, you work on a different area of your job. You know, that can be, you know, I mean, incorporated. Together. I, I essentially do that. Whenever I'm on the phone, I always automatically just uh, go into standing that desk yeah. mode and then I just go. I Because here's the problem with the way at least my uh, company is structured in terms of the actual physical space is, uh, it's very cramped and therefore when one person's on the phone everyone hears what's going on and you know when I'm answering a phone from a, a call from a client no one needs to hear it and I, people don't need to hear I don't need to hear when other people are speaking to clients so I walk over to the conference room and I just uh, walk around the conference room desk and just build up my step count in the process there's That's a the exact opposite of me you know whenever I'm on the phone I always turn on to speaker that way everyone can hear it because a lot of times you know the people who call in I mean, you have different kind of people calling you. You have more customers calling you. I don't have customers calling me necessarily. Um, I have more internal people. But when somebody's on the phone and you have it on speaker, that way everyone can hear, you know, people can chime in and, you know, assist or they can comment or even joke around with the with the person on the phone. And instead of, you know, if you hold yourself up and you put a headset on, essentially you're just working by yourself. You're not working with everybody. You're not including other people. You know, it could be that's different when you have customers on the phone. I mean, I could see that. But even when I was working at my other job where I would have customers on the phone and, you know, I would still want to walk around and, and have the conversation be heard, even though I'd be wearing a headset usually, you know, I'd still want to have the conversation be heard by other people. That way they can provide input if necessary when it comes to the work as well. To be fair, that does make sense. I mean, each their own. Again. I mean, I guess the, uh, that's really another, another point of, you know, trying to reduce the, the well-being of your job and time, uh, time management and social uh, being supported by the the environment the social environment around you you know talking to friends family work coworkers, all trying to you know be uh, you know a community that can reduce a, a lot of anxiety i think as well unless you have yeah. social anxiety which cases will increase your anxiety well i guess that really just depends on the anxiety you have you have to that, know, that, is, that, that is true different strokes for different folks yeah you just have to work on it and provide you know a, a sense of humor when you're dealing with your anxiety and Hopefully that will help reduce it a little bit. That makes sense. I mean, what what's life without a bit of a, bit of a laugh? I mean, you know. Yeah, humor is incorporated into everything we have. If we don't have humor, then we have nothing at all. Right. All right. Well, with that in mind, thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Brood Awakenings. We hope you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful or informative. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us in the comments section by leaving a review on your favorite podcast app. We're now live on pretty much all podcast apps, so don't forget to subscribe and stay up to date on future episodes. Thank you for listening. Bye.